Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. How? What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fucksters? What the fuck, Billies? What the fuckleheads? I'm trying some different phrasing. That's what I'm doing right now. It's new phrasing on the old intro. How's it going? All right. That was an interesting experiment. Welcome. Welcome to the show. I'm Mark Marin. This is WTF, the podcast. Uh, I host it. I've been hosting it since the beginning. I'm not the replacement host. I think that I'm probably a little different than the guy that originally started hosting, but the nuts and bolts of it are the same in terms of personality. The things that make it tick are still making it tick. You understand? Some of them are, yeah, got a little less edge to them. And I think that's probably a good thing, but that edge is always there. All it needs is a, a good conflict to sharpen it. That's how I sharpen my edge against other people that I have problems with. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm becoming a spoon. Maybe, maybe the knife thing is done. I don't know. Hey, uh, today on the show, Jason Isbell, whose uh, most recent record, Southeastern, is phenomenal and the fact of the matter is i knew nothing of him look i'm a drive-by trucker fan but not unlike many bands that i am fans of i liked a few records i listened to them there was a window where i was listening to them but for some reason i did not know before i interviewed jason like within days that he was you know part of that band for a while and also on the records that some of the drive-by trucker albums that i that i love the most and uh and but then again i had not heard all of them now here's the deal i interviewed jason uh, jason isbell and then i interviewed patterson hood so what we're doing here this is wednesday so obviously it's not the usual day that we we uh dump a, a wtf into your head so wednesday today is going to be jason isbell day and friday is going to be patterson hood day so between the two of them there's a an interesting through line not just the drive-by truckers not just the muscle shoals region of uh alabama where they both come from but actually dave dave hood david hood patterson hood's dad is sort of a a through line through both of these episodes in sort of a unique way now here's what happened for me uh, approaching the jason isbell interview so i'm going up to minnesota to do this show wits as john moe's show and on that show is me uh jason isbell and his wife who is a fiddle player amanda shires so it was me amanda shires jason isbell were the guests on this witch show now i'm going up there and all of a sudden people on twitter are like hey man you gotta guy interview jason i'm like i don't know jason and i go into a panic uh when i have to interview musical guests because sometimes i don't know their catalog i may not know more than two records and i freak out and i gotta stuff it all in my head so enough people said you gotta interview isbell this this new album ryan copelman actually was like it's a masterpiece and i'm like well that's that's some big word. That's a big word there. And uh, so what I did is I downloaded all of Jason Isbell's solo records, and I did a little research on his drive-by trucker stuff, and I liked that stuff. And uh, I listened to it on the way to Minnesota. I, I, t- I contacted him on Twitter. He said he didn't. he's into it. So we get there, and um, I'll tell you, man, there's something about show business sometimes that makes me proud and amazed and uh, and just blown away by how specifically unique our lives are. 
because I'm doing this show. It's basically a variety show. We're doing it at a theater. This is also the night my phone got stolen at uh, intermission. I realized my phone got stolen. I'd go out back, go back out on stage and not be a child about it. But, uh, you know, I watched Jason. I watched Amanda. I listened to I, his that album. Southeastern is stunning. Uh, you know, I'm not a big lyrics guy. And, uh, you know, so I've got to really hone in and focus because I'm more of a melody guy and and a rhythm guy. But I, I don't always listen to words. But Isbell is one of these songwriters that just has a turn of phrase, has a sense of place, has a sense of character uh, within the songs and a sense of poetry that is just just punches you right in the fucking heart. And I was astounded by it. So now I meet him and he's this young dude. He looks like he's like, you know, 10 years younger than he is. And he's been through some shit. I mean, you can hear that in the songs. And I, and I know that, you know, he went some, through some shit with the drive-by truckers. And, you know, he, he hit the wall with the stuff that we all hit the wall with. His wife is lovely and very talented singer and fiddle player. And there we are on stage in a variety show at the end of the show doing a group version of The Weight, the band song. And it was one of those moments where you're just backstage in a big theater with other performers who different, do different things than you. And you're out on stage. You're just talking to them like, what's up, man? Hey, how you doing? I'm okay. That's a nice guitar. Yeah, did you have a good flight in? Yeah, and boom. Then you're out on stage. And it's like, there they are sort of serenading and entertaining you know, a room of 1,200, 1,500 people. And it's just a guy you were just saying like, you know, uh, you're going out for a cigarette. To me, there's a magic to it. That, you know, that we become this thing on stage. I don't, I'm not even aware of it in myself. So Jason and I planned to do the podcast. And I, of course, was racked with anger and panic about my phone. And uh, he had been up, you know, almost all night because he had just come from a gig and flew in that day. And, uh, you know, we were looking, you know, he wanted to do the podcast after the show. And, you know, I'm tired. He's tired. He's got to be up in three hours to catch a flight. And yeah, and we we agreed to meet in my hotel room. So it's 1230 at night. And I'm back in my room, phoneless and freaking out, reaching out, connecting to people to alert them that I've lost part of my mind that was made by Apple. And Jason comes down. I told him to bring his guitar. I'd never recorded uh, a song in a hotel room environment. You know, I've done interviews, obviously, you know, on the road. But we we're going to try to do a song because I wanted him to play because you know, it, it's stunning. So he shows up and he's like, man, I got to I got to get up at five uh, to catch a flight. And I'm like, well, let's just do it. Let's knock it out. So I turn on the mics. I hand him a mic. I get on the mic and we talk about his life. We talk about all the stuff that you're about to hear. But what was mind blowing to me, there's no way to do this other than, you know, He's going to play and I'm going to hold one mic in his guitar and I'm going to hold the other mic to his mouth. So I'm standing there, you know, double fisted with the mics and he's singing that song Elephant, which is a powerful fucking song. And I'm just standing there holding these mics, watching my levels and just watching Jason lock in to this beautiful, dark, sweet song. And I'm holding mics and I'm trying to, you know, not to get choked up. But I think the point that I'm making is that we were in a hotel room. He was strung out from the road. I was tired and aggravated. We just had a nice long, uh, about an hour conversation. 
And, you know, we're, we're both sort of at the end of our ropes a little bit. But the beautiful thing about a dude that's been on the road for half his life and been playing since he was a kid, and I see this a lot when they come into, this, into the garage here, is that, you know, I play guitar, but I don't play professionally, and I just knock out a few things, and sometimes I hit it and sometimes I don't. But a dude that has, is a seasoned vet of playing and singing, that's his thing, that's his craft, that's his art, that's who he is, that's what makes him, to sit there... You know, two feet away from a guy who plays music for a living and has no uh, discomfort about singing alone on stage or alone with me in a hotel room holding mics in front of him and nailing it is astounding to me. No second take. No oops. No, I didn't hit it. No, this note's out of tune. Can we go back? I got a string problem. Just nailed it it was overwhelming to me the beauty of that type of professionalism and craft and showmanship fucking stunning all right well well let's let's go let's let's go let's go listen to me talking to jason isbell in a hotel room at 12 30 at night and then you can listen to this beautiful song as well enjoy Jason Isbell. Is that how you say your last name? Yeah, Isbell. Isbell? Isbell. Like Isbell? I, I think I pronounce it wrong, though. <laughs> Isbell? Yeah, Isbell. Do, do you know where that comes from? Well, you know, they're, they're, it, originally I believe it was Spanish, but uh, there's a family in Texas that, that pronounces it Isbell, and they will correct me. Oh, really? When I go to Texas, yeah. <laughs> there's a bunch of us in <laughs> Alabama, but the Texas one, they say Isbell. Are they relatives, or they just come out to bother you with that? They're, well, they're distant relatives. They're, they're so distant, they're not really. They just want to bother me with it, right. I think. They, they see you're in town. They're like, there's one of the renegades. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go tell him he's pronouncing his name wrong. One of the antis. Where did you grow up, though, man? I, I know, like, you know, I did a little research. It's funny, though. I'll tell you the truth. So I, I knew I was coming out here, and I knew we were both going to be on the same show. And I, you know, I know, uh, and people are like, are you going to interview Jason? Are you going to interview Jason? I'm like, I'm not sure I, I know all his stuff. I'm not, you know, like, I, and then my friend Ryan, who's a huge fan of the drive-by truck, he's like, you drive-by trucker guy. And I'm like, well, I know their shit. Yeah. And then, like, I had a, you know, I'm like, well, I better get up to speed on this. And I, and I listened to the new record, Southeastern. Southeastern, Which yeah. is genius. Oh, and then I listened you. to the other two solos. And I'm like, all right, I got enough. I got enough. <laughs> I, I, I don't feel like I'm just going to go into this empty-headed yeah. or empty-handed. Yeah, well, you could have. That would have been fine, too. It would have, but, it, you know, I had a respect, my yeah, friend. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I know a lot of the people that uh, that that listen to me are big fans of you, so they're, they're very excited about it. Like, the crew and, you know, a bunch <laughs> yeah, of people yeah. on Twitter, they were all like, man, you got to do the show. you got to do it. I know they're excited because they think that, like, all right, these guys have been through some shit. They'll have mm-hmm. some more stories. They'll yeah. have stuff to talk about. Yeah. But I, you know, I'm always fascinated with the South and I don't talk to that many people from the South. And, you know, I have a great love, uh, an unashamed love for, for Leonard Skinner and the Allman Brothers and yeah. you know, a lot of things that went on down there. And I like going down there. I spend time in Nashville, but I still can't really imagine. I talked to Johnny Knoxville and, and he grew up in the South, but it, like, I'm sort of fascinated with it. And you grew right. up in Alabama. I did. Yeah. North Alabama. What does that mean? North Alabama. Um, 
it means it's a little bit more populated than South Alabama. There's there's not really a major city in Alabama anymore. You know, Birmingham's shrunk a little bit, and and there's not not even what you would call a metropolis there. Uh huh. You know, Birmingham, Montgomery, or Huntsville, that's pretty much your biggest Tuscaloosa when college is in. You know, like we had cows in the backyard and stuff. It yeah. Was, it was that Alabama. Your family had cows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah, my granddad, well, he had horses and sheep. I remember getting trampled by sheep as uh-huh. a child. That was a pretty interesting experience. <laughs> was it interesting or horrible? It was both, you know. Uh, uh, it was horribly interesting. <laughs> My favorite one, okay, we had uh, chickens, ducks, geese. And when yeah. I was a kid, I was in charge of the fowl because they're kind of easy to keep up with. You know, well, how, Do you have siblings? I have them, but they're half siblings, and they're much younger than me. So uh-huh. it was just me. My parents would send me to stay with my grandparents while they worked. Okay. Um, that was the and they were the grandparents were up the street. Grandparents were right down the street. They were okay. right next to the school, so mm-hmm. I could walk there after I got out of school. And they and, had a farm. Uh, they had a farm, and um, and so I took care of the fowl. Well, my granddad taught me how to kill a chicken by wringing its neck. You you grab it by the head and you yeah. swirl it around in a circle. Yeah, and the chicken's body comes off if you do it right, and it flops around, and then it's dead. You can you know pluck it and boil it and eat it and all that stuff. This is what you learned. This is what I learned. At what age? At probably seven, six or seven years old. But my grandfather was a prankster, and after I learned to do this with the chicken, he he one afternoon he said, "Okay, now go kill that goose the yeah. same way that you kill the chicken." Right. And I started in with the goose, and his neck got like twenty feet long. It just kept stretching and kept. Stretch and I looked up and he's on the porch like laughing his ass off at me. I finally just went and got a hatchet and finished the poor sad goose off. But that was very rural, very rural. That is very rural because like I can't like in my mind I'm thinking I'm like I can't get past the idea of killing the chicken. Yeah, but yeah, but if you grow up like that, you know, it's just something you do. Yeah, it was. You know, it was. My dad was one of those like if you're gonna eat it, you need to at least kill it once. Uh huh. Was he a hunter? Um. Not really. He, yeah. he he did it occasionally. I went hunting with my dad, but just to sit in the woods, really. That was it. I, I like. We never killed much of anything. We just sit in the woods. <laughs> what your What your dad do? He uh, was house painter, and uh-huh. he does now. He does maintenance at a hospital down there. Uh huh. So he's a working class guy. Working class guy. Um, did you grow up with trucks? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, trucks. Um, yeah, all that kind of you know, right. real, real, real redneck stuff, I guess, but not in the. Not in the red, like they're open-minded people, you know. Dad mm-hmm. was uh, very curious. He always prided himself, and still does, prides himself on being able to hold a conversation with any type of person, whether they be, you know, more intelligent, more educated than him, or I, less. Or well, I found that like when I travel to the South, people are very friendly. I yeah. don't always trust it because, yeah, in my mind, right. something bad happens. Sometimes, here. sometimes <laughs> it's not trustworthy friendliness. Sometimes, <laughs> but you know, my family never uh, really. Like, we're not part of that kind of, like, wealthy Southern. Right. I, right. Think, I think a lot of the problems came from, from the rich folks in the South, you know. And oh, yeah? Rednecks with too much money, man. It's a bad It's a bad situation. It's a bad combination. It's a bad thing. It really is. Money and power. Rednecks with money and power. Oh, that's rough. Yeah. That's bad? <laughs> that's yeah, bad? It's, it's rough. I think I think at a certain point, you know, if, if you have the money and you're still a redneck, then you can cause some real problems for yeah. everybody else in the country I, I imagine they still do yeah I yeah so. I, I know they do yeah it's a fact all right so you're going to school your parents are working what'd your mom do my mom um she did she like hung wallpaper and stuff huh. did a little bit of like uh you know the construction side that 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 women did you know yeah um and then she went back to school she got a degree in interior design and uh wow and, yeah and, and started doing that kind of stuff so they both kind of 
you know, worked in construction in one form or another. And and you were just hanging out at your grandpa's farm, learning how to kill chickens. Learning how to kill chickens and play guitar. See, that was the, he 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 was a Pentecostal preacher, and he played music in church. And he had like uh, uh, you know uh, like seven or eight brothers, and most of them all played instruments either professionally or recreationally. So you most grew up in the in the Pentecostal church. And my my dad was Pentecostal, so I went you know to the Pentecostal church with him when I was little, and then when my parents got a divorce. Yeah, my mom's family was uh, Church of Christ, which uh-huh. was like a very strict, you know, almost Quaker kind of Southern. That thing, she switched know. over to that. No, that was her family. Okay. So she started going to church with her family yeah. at that point, and uh, so I would kind of switch back and forth between one or the other. What is a Pentecostal church like? Because I, I don't want to like I've gotten into trouble. With suggesting there are snakes involved every time I talk Sometimes, to not in all Pentecostal churches, but most of your snake handlers are some form of holiness or Pentecostal. And what is a Pentecostal exactly? It's Baptist, right? It No, it's it's kind of an offshoot of Baptist. Uh-huh. Um, it, they, they have essentially the same interpretation of the Bible as the Baptists do, you know, right. they have the thing where if you're, if you're baptized and then, then you're always saved, you're going to go to heaven after that, uh-huh. no matter what you do, because you've been baptized, uh-huh. technically you're still going to get in. No matter really, what. If you really believed it. The last know. minute, if you ask to get in, he'll let you in. Yeah. So right. the Church of Christ don't, they don't play that uh-huh. at all. You got to, you got to <laughs> repent pretty publicly right up until the end like yeah, if yeah. you if you slip up and you know fuck somebody other than your wife 10 minutes before you die you better hurry up and ask for forgiveness before you go <laughs> you better hit your knees right at the point of climax yeah yeah you got to do it like yeah. as soon as just possible just hit your knees right at the side of the bed say i'm sorry i got something i got to do whoops <laughs> i got a chest pain <laughs> and this is a bad situation yeah yeah it's it's one of those you know they they would say uh, all, all your prayers are either please or thank you you know, try to have more thank yous and fewer pleases. <laughs> Help me out, man. I yeah. fucked up again. I did it again. <laughs> but in the Baptist church, you know, you could do that. Once saved, always saved, they would say. But in the Church of Christ, they were very, very strict about things. They didn't have musical instruments, nothing but human voices. Uh-huh. They, they, that was a rule. Yeah, they thought it was a sin to have musical instruments in the church. That's crazy. Yeah, I think so. I think it's crazy. So you learned, uh, your grandfather got you a guitar? He played guitar, and then his son, my dad's brother, played. And uh-huh. the two of them spent tons of time with me, teaching me how to play. And, and uh, you know, partially, I think, to keep me out of trouble, keep me from breaking stuff. And, did it? And running off. It did. It really did for yeah. a long time until it got me in trouble in my 20s. You right. Know? Yeah. Um, but wait, what was the what was the type of music that they were laying on you then? I mean, well, how old were you? I started playing when I was about seven or eight years old, maybe maybe even six. I think I got a mandolin when I was about six because my hands were small. My granddad gave me a mandolin. So he just he, had instruments around. He had them all around. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. He played the fiddle and the mandolin, banjo and the guitar. And what was his music? Um, um, gospel and bluegrass. Bluegrass. Uh, yeah, bluegrass, gospel music. And then he liked the funny stuff. He had a really good sense of humor. He liked Grandpa Jones. He liked uh, Minnie Pearl. He liked the old Opry singers. Um, um, uh, what was the String Bean. Uh-huh. He, you know, String Bean died because he buried his money in his backyard. Somebody yeah. knew it and dug him up and killed him. Oh, that was a tragedy. You know, that was. Is that real? Yeah, that's how String Bean, it was his nephew, I believe. Um so String being the guy, the comedic performer. The comedic opera singer. He, he buried all his money in the backyard. Buried his money in jars in the backyard. Yeah. And, uh, and his his nephew, it might have been his son, but I think it was his nephew, killed him because of that. And that's, that's when a lot of the Nashville 
country stars started going to the bank for the first time. No kidding. It Is was that like true? A scare. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard it from more than one source. <laughs> Try to pull, time to pull that stuff out of the mattress. Yeah, and exactly. Out, time out of the to, floorboards. Time to put it somewhere out of the house. We're gonna have to trust the banks. Yeah. Because <laughs> that fascinates me. I mean, bluegrass is fast, and it's and it's hard. It's isn't painful. It? I, yeah. He would tell me I was getting the lazy arm because he yeah. played a big dreadnought acoustic guitar. You yeah. Know? And I was not my full size yet so i would learn how to play rhythm he'd play what he called a lead instrument like banjo or fiddle and i'd have to play rhythm guitar and that that bluegrass right arm man you're hauling ass you know it's it, it's fast and it's and it is tiring yeah. i would imagine after a couple hours of it um uh you know, I would start slowing down. He'd give me hell. Yeah, you're getting a lazy arm. Pick it up. Getting a lazy arm. So it was like training. It was. Yeah. It was really. And I don't. I don't necessarily think he meant it that way, but I just loved it. I Could loved you keep up with him about it? After a while, not at first. Uh-huh. But by the time I was 11 or 12, I could definitely keep up. Now, like now, I mean, how old are you now? 35. Could you? Could you? Uh, could you handle yourself in a bluegrass outfit? Um, I can handle myself. Yeah, I could be unnoticeable. Uh huh. You know, I'm right. not, I'm not uh, Tony Rice by any means. Right. There are people who really, really do that. Yeah. I'm not one of like them. a flat picker. You mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I could I could fake it enough to where you wouldn't notice me on stage. Right. And and, and yeah, no one would say like, "Who's that kid?" Right. No. Yeah, nobody yeah. would say that positively or negatively. You know. And and when did you start to feel like? Uh, what was the first uh, music that that made an impression on you to sort of to shift into uh, a different gear? Probably ab- about the same time uh, I started getting into what my mom liked and what my dad. My dad liked arena rock, and he liked old country. He liked uh, uh, free. And oh yeah, free's great. He, he had that fire and water record. That's that a great was, record. That was a huge record for me when I was a kid. It's a great record. Just blew my mind. Yeah, Zeppelin Four. Oh yeah. Um, and then he had some like Hank Junior. Like the pressure's on. Uh-huh. He had uh, Big City Merle Haggard record. Yeah. And um, you know, so he 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 had all the Skinner stuff. Uh, yeah. Matter of fact, a couple weeks ago, he gave me his copy of Street Survivors with that he flames. bought with the Flames. Yeah. He bought it new in '77 before the plane went That's down. That's a good record. That uh, Steve Gaines could play. The Steve hell out could of really play. And, yeah. uh, and he was on what two records, right? Yeah, he didn't he didn't stay very long. Was he on years. the live one? And yeah, because he got killed in the crash, mm-hmm. and they added him later. But he could really play. Yeah, his sister was a backup singer in the band. Right. And she talked him into letting him letting him come in and play. And yeah, he was he was great. He was fast and clean. And what about some of the other Southern rockers, like, you know, Molly Hatchet? Yeah, you know, Blackfoot. I, when I was learning to play, yeah. I went through a phase where I listened to a lot of that stuff, but none of it stuck like Skinner. I don't consider the Allman Brothers to be Southern rock. Now. I don't think so. I think they're in a different world. I think they're on a different plane. I think they fit in better in San Francisco than they did, you know, in Well, they were sort Birmingham. of interesting because they were, they were kind of a, a blues band mm-hmm. that kind of opened it up. You know, they, they had a, a country vibe to it, but there was also those long instrumentals that yeah. were very, you know. Kind of like the Grateful Dead in some a ways. A little bit. Mm-hmm. But Dickie Betts was a, you know, he was a real country player, I think. Dickie played real country and, and Dwayne played real blues, real blues. style. Yeah, you know? yeah. So you think that, who was the first Southern rock band then? Um, The first Southern rock band? Kind of, like, yeah. Like chronologically well i mean who who do you think is southern rock i mean skinnerd obviously skinnerd was are there bands before skinnerd that's a good question um, yeah that's a really good question because that's mean, i mean that's when we all got we all started to hear I about think what it. we think of as southern rock yeah skinner skinner was definitely the best and they were probably the earliest they were probably the biggest influence on on everybody else you know because yeah. like ricky medlock um 
played drums on the first Skinner recordings. Right. And then went on to front Blackfoot. Right. After that. Did you know these guys? Yeah. Oh, you did? Yeah, we toured with them. Um, they they the drive by truckers toured. With yeah, them? we opened for them, and we had just done that record, Southern Rock Opera. Were you on that record? No, I started the tour right, after. right when they finished the record on the initial tour for that. Uh-huh. I started out with them, and some of the first shows we were opening for Skinner, making you know three hundred, five hundred bucks a night. That must have been crazy though for you guys. It was that- crazy, and it was scary because the Skinner guys are are they're they're not. Uh, to be fucked with, you know. I mean, even at this age, like Billy Powell comes to a show, yeah, with his nose broken, yeah, right. And yeah. these guys are in their sixties, you yeah. know. Billy shows up with his nose broken, yeah. and I overhear him talking to one of the roadies, and he had drank the night before, right. And Gary Rossington had broken his nose with his fist because Billy had had a drink, and Billy was saying, "Man, my fucking cat died, man. I, my wife called me, my cat died. I had to have a drink." Was he Gary, sober before that? Yeah, he had oh, been oh. sober. And Gary was, I guess, keeping him sober, you know. Because um, Gary's sober, right? He was yeah. strung out. Yeah. Um, but they were very nice to us. Gary came back. Uh, you know, he, he said, I, I listened to that record y'all made. I, I don't really, you know, it's not really my cup of tea, but I appreciate you guys making it. We didn't know if he was going to hit us in the head with a damn two by four or what. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think he meant by it's not his cup of tea? Because it was a story and there was a an idea behind the well, whole it was thing? a punk rock record. Yeah. You know, it, right. it's it's out of tune. It's all over the place. It's right. crazy wild. You know, it's 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 a punk rock. It owes as much, I think, to, to the Clash or, or the Pixies even as it does to Skinner. It just happens to be about Skinner and the instrumentation is the same. And it was respectful. It was respectful, yeah. I mean, you know, Patterson and Cooley genuinely loved Skinner. How could you not if you if you grew up in that area playing guitar and singing? I mean, they were they were great. I don't know how you could not if you grew up in you know in America in general yeah. at that time. I mean, I I, I remember, but I'm I'm fifty. Yeah. So I remember when Street Survivors came out, and I remember the the one dude I knew turned me on to Skinner, and I had all the Skinner records. I mean, I don't have a lot of peers that necessarily love Skinner, but I, right. I've always uh, I've always been been prone to to that kind of music they worked harder than any band in the world well that's what i hear i mean that's a fascinating story about that kind of them playing in some you know un unair conditioned rehearsal space yep and, eight and, ten hours a day right when they should have been in the eighth grade and shit you yeah know? yeah and it's a good story they had it worked out so well that when they went in when they cut Freebird, they thought that they were trying again the solo you know it's yeah, layered yeah. right again. yeah well they thought they were cutting it again um the you know the engineer would say just i mean the producer would say all right try that one again and he would keep each of them right and that's how closely they were playing those parts they had them rehearsed that closely that precise so on the original Freebird, that's layered it's layered it's like three or four different guitars oh know? so it's not all playing at once it's because they all, figured it out later they played it live they played it live at once but they thought that they were trying again they thought they were taking another stab at it <laughs> they were just doing it identically the same you know same way every good licks time. man yeah. good licks Great were you stuff. a lead guitar player early on yeah yeah all right so let's let's go back to to your grandpa so your dad had the free records gave you the skinnered records so at what and, and then you went to uh when did the when did you start playing in bands um Let's see. I was probably 14, 15. So in high school? In high school. Had a garage band and then had a, a country cover band that I played in. Like what'd you cover? Um, we covered some like uh, Keith Whitley and some Garth Brooks and some Alan Jackson. Stuff that we could go make, you know, 
a hundred bucks for all of us together on a Friday night at the dance hall. And you guys did all right with it? We did okay. We actually, we played at the Opry once when I was about 16 years old. Uh-huh. And uh, my best friend at the time, he played piano and we're still, yeah. we're still close. He's a, he's a big time hit songwriter in Nashville now, but we were in our first band together when we were 15 or 16. And it was just a cover band. It was just, yeah, country covers. So you grew up all country, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, I grew up listening to a whole lot of different kind of stuff. Like, Uh I really wanted to be in a rock band. Yeah. My mom listened to John Hyatt and John Prine and Bonnie Raitt. Yeah. And, you know, all these lyrics and songwriters that I I really took to. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my dad kind of like the arena rock side to things, you know. Because it always interests me about people, because I was talking to Ron White the other day. About people that there are people in the world, a lot of them in this country that only listen to country. Oh yeah, that's but, it. But I think that most people, even from those regions of the U.S., they they got a big rock in a lot of rock in them too. And yeah. then country's almost become rock now. Mm-hmm. But I think that some people, I imagine some people you knew, just grew up with country in the house. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I think that's kind of the last time that happened though. Um, because the culture now, people who are a generation younger than me listen to as much two chains as they do, you know, Florida Georgia Line or whatever. They listen to hip hop and right. country. So you go to a you go to a bar in Florence Alabama on a Friday night. Yeah, you see a band play a set, and when they take a break, they put hip hop on. Everybody dances, huh? And then the same people slow dance to the country band for the next hour. I think that seems that's that's heartening to me. Yeah, yeah, I like it too. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've always liked that aspect of things. Like know? there's a there, the, everything in them. You got country, you got hip hop, mm-hmm. and now the 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 whole sort of the rock thing has become sort of. It's blurry. not the thing as much anymore. Yeah, huh? Not down there. And when you were in high school, did you play other instruments? Yeah, I played uh, trumpet and French horn. What happened? At, well, French horn is not that practical an instrument. No, it did, that, I mean, that I can did. still I can still play them. I played them on record some. Really? Yeah, it and takes trumpet? me a little time to get my chops back, but I can still do it. And when did you? Uh, so when did you start? Uh, when the when the boozing start? Ooh, that that started late for me. I was probably. I mean, I, I drank a little bit, you know, uh, at eighteen, and then when I went to college, I was in a fraternity in college, and. I didn't really binge drink that much. I wasn't a big drinker in college. I did pretty good, made pretty good grades, studied and stuff. Did you finish? Um, no, I, I have a human fitness and wellness course left. Do you ever have dreams that, about finishing? Or no, not finishing? I hadn't thought about it at all. What were you studying? Um, English, creative writing. Yeah? Yeah. So, so how did you end up getting out of uh, of growing up in the South without getting into a lot of trouble? That's a good question. I mean... I, because I was close to my family, I didn't want to disappoint them. You know, mm-hmm. they were they were nice to me. They yeah. spent time. You know, they spoiled me with attention. They didn't they didn't they didn't have material things. You know, past right. what I needed. But right. but they they I didn't want to disappoint them. You know, I, I still don't want to disappoint my dad. You know, when when I went through that long period of time when. You know, he's told me since then, he's like, I didn't think you were going to live. I didn't think you were going to make 30. You know, I'd pretty much resigned myself to the fact that I'm going to get a call one night and he's had a wreck or overdosed on something or something's happened somewhere on the road. You know, and that sucked. I didn't want to disappoint my old man. It's a heartbreaking thing to hear that they were, you know, they don't know what to do. 
Yeah. Because they, you know, they love you, but they got no control over you anymore. Right. And you don't necessarily listen to them about that kind of stuff anyways after a certain age. Yeah. So they're just worrying all the time. That's it. Yeah. And my, my dad definitely spent a lot of time concerned about the way I was living. He was proud of me, you know, for being a songwriter, going after my dream and, and actually making a living at it, you know. Um, but at the same time, I think he knew that I was I was killing myself pretty quickly. Yeah, when, in your mind, like when you started playing in bands or when you started to, to, to get into that lifestyle, I mean, because I know myself, I mean, yeah, I sort of aspired to it. Yeah. There was part of me that thought like, well, this is what you do. This yeah. is the freedom of this. Did you have that? Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah, we were hell razors, man. We had like other bands would take pictures. Which of, band? Um, when I was in the truckers. Okay. Like the bands that would open for us and stuff. I remember catching them taking pictures of the tables in our dressing room because there'd be like, you know, five or six or eight empty fifth uh-huh. of whiskey bottles. You know? what, what was the whiskey? Jack Daniels. Always. Yeah, that was what I drank when I was in high school. And was for always a while. Jack. Had yeah. to be Jack, right? Yeah. Yeah. But where does that come from? That's Lynchburg, a Skinner thing. Tennessee. Right. Yeah, but yeah. that's like a, that's a specifically Southern thing. Yeah. Not it the, it's not the greatest tasting liquor. I always, I always thought so. You did? I always thought so. That smell at first, what, did you drink it straight? Did you mix it with Coke? At, at first, yeah, you know, we drank it out of the bottle on uh-huh. stage. I remember the first band I saw do that was Dash Rip Rock from New Orleans. Uh-huh. When I was in college, I saw them play a show and they were they were doing that. And then when I joined the truckers, they were doing it. I was like, that's the coolest thing it's I've ever great. seen. Yeah. As long as you had something to prop up against or, you know, like by the end of the show, I mean, I was just blitzed. Now, you grew up near Muscle Shoals. So, I mean, those guys, and I know Patterson's dad was one of those guys. Mm-hmm. Did you know Patterson, or did you know when you were a kid? Not really. No, he had moved out of town. They were they were a bit older than me. Um, the truckers are. Yeah, yeah. Patterson and Cooley both. Uh, but you used to see those musicians around. I, I knew Patterson's dad real well before I knew Patterson. But how, how, how's that? He was still in town. He still lived there. He still played out Friday, Saturday nights in in restaurants, and you know they didn't really have. They still don't really have much for music venues. There's one or two down there that that gets out of town bands, but but the people who played on those records, you know, you could still catch them at 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 a local bar and grill, uh-huh. you know, playing on a Friday night. So I would just go and and sit and listen to them at first, and then finally kind of worked up the nerve to tell them that I played, and they'd have me sit in with them and got to be good friends with those guys. How old were you? I was sixteen, seventeen, eighteen years old. Isn't that isn't that kind of bizarre? It is. It's amazing. It's 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 ridiculously fortunate, you know. And then when I like, I didn't know at first that much about the music that was made in that area. I don't think I was really ready for that kind of about R&B. like uh, Aretha Franklin and uh, Wilson Pickett, yeah, and, and Otis uh, and Percy, and you know the 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 really the real severe kind of. And that's the guys blues. they played with. Yeah, I interviewed Booker T. Oh yeah, yeah. Booker T's a sweet, sweet man. Very sweet. Looks guy. like he's about thirty years it's old. Unbelievable. Yeah, he's taking care of himself. But those guys, they weren't a, they weren't stacks. They were session players, right? Yeah, the Muscle Shoals guys. Muscle Shoals guys were put together initially by Rick Hall at Fame and Muscle Shoals, and they were just local musicians. Um, they were very young, and uh, he put them together, and then he tried to sign them to a, a contract that they didn't necessarily agree with. Um, so they opened their own studio in Sheffield, Alabama, right right down the street. The towns are connected. And they started getting people uh, through Atlantic Records, people like uh, 
like the Stones came in, Luther Dickinson, uh, I mean, Big Jim, Luther's dad, he brought the Stones in to record. And uh, What they record Simon down there? Came. They did Wild Horses and Brown Sugar. Oh, that one. Yeah. So, like, uh, there's sticky, some footage on the... Uh, sticky Fingers. Yeah, there's some footage on the, uh, what's the Altamont, Gimme Shelter. Uh-huh. Uh, right before they go to Altamont, they go to Muscle Shoals, Alabama. And you were just going to restaurants and seeing these guys. Yep, and out playing. And what when you sat in with them? You what was uh, Patterson's dad's name? David. And you knew him when you were a teenager. Yeah, yeah. He he calls me son still to this day. That's a fascinating bit of coincidence. It I think. really is. I got very <laughs> lucky, Mark. I got very lucky because they'd been through you know anything that I could possibly come up with uh-huh. substances, you know, gear, women, you know, financial heartbreak, success. And they would to, talk to you about and it. And they would tell me about it, you know, especially David. David would all, he would answer any question that I had completely honestly. Like you what know, kind of questions did you, did you remember talking to him about? I remember just asking him at some point, like, how do you get all these gigs? How did you wind up getting to play for all these people? Uh-huh. I mean, which now seems like kind of a dumb question, but it's not. I really wanted to know the answer. He said, well, my gear always worked and I always showed up on time. And I always had a good attitude. And he was dead serious. I'm like, yeah, right, dude. You you know some magical bass guitar shit that you're not telling. No, it's just like. But it turned out that he's, he's right. He gear works. You show up on time. You don't be a smart ass. You'll get those gigs. Now, he, he does have a, a style of playing that he won't admit to, but it's it's really great. But he's he's the most humble what, person. What, what kind of style would you call it? He, he plays R&B music in a real bouncy way, like a. a a certain way that he doesn't improvise much, mm-hmm. um, but he has a way of of playing uh, a little bit a little bit in front of the drummer, but a little bit behind the beat, mm-hmm. kind of between the exact beat and the kick drum. He's not always right on the kick drum. I don't know. There's something about it that just lays in really nice, and uh, it's probably something he just developed naturally. You know, yeah, he's probably not aware of it. It's just yeah. that that's what he does. From listening to Duck Don and people like that, I imagine. Yeah, I, I can't, I cannot, I can't really always identify because I, you know I'm not really a musician in that way. I, I can tell when someone's ahead of the beat, and I can tell when someone's behind it a little bit. I mean, I, I don't, I can't like the the nuance of what you're talking about is, is that uh, pockets. A, that's a hard thing to find. Some days I can't find it for shit, you know. And you're conscious to. of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that that's where, you know, what they call soul music, which I call it R&B, because uh-huh. the people who sang it usually call it R&B. So uh-huh. soul music's kind of a white people term for uh-huh. it. But um, the R&B from that era, like the stuff that really moved you, you know, the reason Booker T and the MGs sounded that cool was because they found that pocket, that that space around where the actual beat was without slowing it. Uh, slowing the speed of the music down without slowing the tempo down. I get it. I get it. So, it, but it sort of propel. It, it feels like the bass sometimes is is pushing the drum. Yeah, yeah right? a little bit, a yeah. little bit. They're yeah. not exactly on the same. Place. Right, right. Now, if you hear a pop record, your kick drum and your bass guitar are one and the same. I mean, they line them up right digitally. Right, right. Digitally now. There's so. a little more of a. It almost comes from a swing. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. You, you, you got to be able to to move it like that. There's a groove to it. It's a groove. Yeah. It's 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 not it's not a it's 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 not a knob, it's a fader, you know. It's something you kind of slide into. Because I think on your last record, you, you did a ballad, didn't you? I mean, you've done a little bit of soul-structured ballads. Yeah, yeah I have. Because um, is And that sits with you because you sort of grew up with that, do you think? Yeah, I love that kind of music, so I tried to recreate it in the past. Um, 
But I just don't know if I'm really cut out for it. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't have remarkable pipes. I'm not a bad singer, but I don't have, right. you know, I'm not going to sing like Otis Redding. Well, I mean, no, but you're not is, supposed to. You, you no, know. of course, for a lot of reasons. Um, but, you know, I just have a hard time trying to emulate something without being able to move it forward. Right. Well, yeah, there was a structure to it. I think that, you know, to deliver that kind of ballad, with that kind of emotion, you, you kind of have to look at the delivery system, and I, you know mm-hmm. it, that that one works. I mean, the Stones have used it; a lot yeah. of people have used it. Yeah, uh, you know, you just got to make it one of your own. It's a, it's, it's a solid structure. Yeah, you just got to try it and then follow your mistakes. But it seems to me in your solo career that you know you went through, like when I was listening to it, and it's all pretty fresh in my head that that it seemed like earlier on when you first started with with your band that there was like um, almost a you seem to got more confident yeah, and stripped it down a little more. Uh-huh. It, it seemed like there was a lot of, a lot of music and a lot of production. And by this album, I mean, you're very, you know, you're in your own thing. The songs are, 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 are on their own. You don't have a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of, uh, like, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of production and a lot of noise going on. Right. Is that intentional? Yeah. Yeah. I think some of that in the past was probably, uh, just, insecurities about my own voice and my own you know literally and my style. voice and also my my voices in my my style my technique you know um yeah i mean I, I i was i was a little bit afraid to let people hear it like i had to you know i'd go in the studio and and when we would mix the vocal would be right where i liked it and then i would say okay now turn it up you know bump it up a number yeah and i'm not gonna listen to it that way but i know that's what i need to be doing because if it's left up to me i'll bury it you know yeah. um, just because it just it's still sometimes it grates on my nerves to hear my voice so when you were talking to dave hood when you were a kid he didn't mention his kid he did you know but not a whole lot i think i think they were you know they kind of went back and forth with uh getting along because patterson was pretty rebellious he moved out of town moved to Athens, Georgia, and played in some, some gutter punk kind of, you know, uh, hillbilly punk rock bands. And So his rebellion against his R&B dad was to play and his that country kind of, roots was to yeah, and he listened to play like, fuck you music. Yeah, exactly, fuck uh-huh. you music. And his, his dad, David, called like uh, one of his blanket terms for, for those kind of left of the dial, you know, college um bands was uh the chocolate vomits you know in any band he'd be like oh you're listening to the chocolate vomits well then years later after patterson and david had gotten really really close again which they still are um uh, uh david played bass on uh um black francis uh soul record that he made oh really yeah the frank black soul uh-huh. record and uh-huh. uh and patterson called him and said dad you do realize you're a chocolate vomit now don't you <laughs> david had no idea he's like that's what i was making fun of i didn't know <laughs> that's hilarious yeah but you kind of he sort of took you on as a, a surrogate son in a way yeah did you like go did you spend time at their house or you just saw him out yeah i did they they had you know they had parties and stuff and and like there was this one place in particular yeah uh where like a lot of people congregated that were musicians and uh scott boyer and dick cooper were the two older fellows who rented the house and dick was he managed bands worked in the in the music scene he'd worked with skinner some back in the day mm-hmm. and uh scott uh played in greg allman's band had a band called cowboy that was on capricorn and Macon in the 70s greg allman's great singer great singer really great singer and uh and wrote to his strengths really really well he wrote beautiful songs that are 
very simple, you know. What's your favorite Almond Brothers song? Uh, I really like uh, uh, Ain't Wasting Time No More. I like their version of that. I yeah, think yeah. they did a really cool thing on it. I, I like Whipping Post. And, yeah, yeah, you know, I yeah. like it when they get way out there, but I think Ain't Wasting Time No More really, yeah, really gets me. Yeah, they had a groove, man. Yeah, they did. So there's this place and these parties and, you know, everywhere they would all hang out. The they, they would come and they would play. And, you know, for a while there, they were having a party like every other uh, weekend and it would be like Pete Carr, who was a session guitar player at, at Muscle Shoals, you know, played on down on Main Street. Dun, 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 oh, yeah, yeah. That's Pete. He'd yeah. be out there playing. And uh, Delbert McClinton would oh, come yeah. and Bonnie Bramlett, um, you know, some people who were big deals. And it was just know. like at barbecues or what? Yeah. Yeah. So like David would bring a bunch of uh, a bunch of barbecue he would get from this place out in the out in the boonies. And they would all come set up their stuff and and play, and I was just living there, sleeping on the couch at the time. Where at whose at, house? At that uh, Scott and Dick's house. That's how I met Patterson actually, because I was there hanging out with his dad pretty much and all his friends. And that's where you were just sleeping on their couch. Sleeping on their couch. Well, yeah. How old do you know? Um, probably. 2021 20, like so you're out of the house and yeah and, and summers when i'm not in college in memphis and then as soon as i drop out of school i come and i'm staying in that place and i met patterson we started playing music together and they played a house concert at that house that same house the drive-by truckers parties. yeah so and, they were together already uh, they were together from like 97 they've been together since i was about 18 i guess wow so you were this kid yeah. that was kind of hanging around his dad's friends mm-hmm. like this little upstart guitar player and by that point were you sitting in with these guys all the time yeah yeah all, did you play on records or did you had, no you i didn't, didn't do any band? sessions or anything were then, you writing really. songs i was writing songs i wasn't letting anybody hear them yet uh-huh um, but i was writing them i still wasn't happy enough with them to to let anybody in what hear way what, what do you think was wrong with them well i just i made some demos and uh, uh turned them into the people at fame and they signed me to a publishing deal so that was the first so they had confidence in you as they a songwriter. Had, yeah, they and that that gave me some confidence. I think they were, you know, a couple hundred bucks a week enough mm-hmm. for me to live on at, mm-hmm. at at twenty years old. Um, and did you churn out anything that that got got recorded? No, never, never did really. Never it's a did. tough racket, man, because I know in Nashville it's it's an amazing place because unlike any other place where. People will just go and they will make demos and they'll write songs all day long, just hoping like someone. It's an office job. Yeah. And it's like the lottery sometimes, too. You know? It is. I mean, the first time I was down there, I mean, there was a guy, a taxi driver gave me his cassette tape. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, and it's still like that? Yeah. Yeah, it's still like that. It's still, I mean, it, it. yeah, it's still. And I appreciate that side of things because that, like the, the talent and the finances sort of trickles down to what we do. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of studios that that people who make our kind of music go record in and the engineer worked on huge hit records yeah. and then got tired of the bullshit of it and opened his own little studio. And it's, a, you know, we benefit from that. Uh, I have to look at it as a different job because you know, that music is just intolerable to me. The pop country top 40 stuff, just it offends my soul. It, it's interesting though, how alt country or, or what they call progressive country or, or whatever it is, is more, is closer to what country used to be yeah, it is. than country is now. Yeah. And I mean, there are some, there, there are exceptions, 
you know, to the rule. Like like sometimes a song will come out and, and it's Miranda Lambert or somebody. I think that's a really good song, you know. Uh-huh. Um, and I think Casey Musgraves now is pushing herself into that world, which is good because she's a good songwriter and singer. And stuff. But do you but, find that that Nashville uh, the the old guard still looks down on on what you're doing or what the drive by truckers? I just don't think are? they pay any attention to it at all. Because no money in it. In their There's eyes. no money in it for them. No. But we're we're you know we're we're looking at them and taking what's what's trickling off the leaves you know yeah we're, yeah we're picking up the apples off the ground and making something out of them. Did, were you a Steve Earle guy? Yeah, I love Steve's songwriting. Yeah, very much. Were you a fan of his early stuff? Yeah. Uh huh. I, 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 are you guys friends? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we are. Um, he's a he's an interesting guy. He is an Professor Steve. Guy. Yeah, right. He's, he, <laughs> yeah. he's got some opinions on some stuff, um, but he can back them up. He's got he's got something to say about everything. He really does. Um, <laughs> you know, his son and I were really good friends for a long time. We're not talking now, but we were. Why? What happened? What Towns? Uh, yeah, yeah, Justin. Justin Towns, Towns Earl. Yeah, we were good friends. He he got mad, man. We were. Uh, um, he he had a split up with a girl, mm-hmm. and we continued to hang out with her and hired her to work for us at one point because she was a roadie at the drive-bys were no this was real recent this was in the last few months Uh and uh you know i just i said man he's yelling you're not a loyal friend i'm like dude we're not gonna make you hang out with her we're not over here talking about how shitty a person you are yeah we're just all grown people and uh he just got really mad about it got got offended you know well you know i'd I'd be fine with it if you called me up and wanted to hang out i wouldn't mind but it was just childish i'm not gonna apologize well come on this is country music man you yeah, know how it goes with the, yeah right with, with right. the girls the you know girl. yeah but <laughs> you write about it I mean, there's like you write about it you yeah. write about it you write about like it, that song you, codeine is like that's a heartbreaking song but you wouldn't see willie and waylon getting pissed off about who was hanging out with their ex i don't i think that's true i i think that you know after a certain point there there is a brotherhood I'm not saying it's necessarily a healthy thing. I don't know that the women fare that well, well in that system. It, I don't know if it's misogynist, you know. Right, I, but... but I uh, don't try to handle it that way. But, I, it's not like we pass women around between us or anything. It happens. But, uh, well, I mean, maybe we have, maybe yeah, we haven't. A, but a few months here and there. Maybe. Neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, not but, but, this particular one. That, not right, all, right, right. Know. No, I get what you're saying. And it just kind of made me sad that, it, that he got all that upset about it. Well, he was pissed off that you still, you didn't fire her. Yeah, Basically. yeah, he was pissed off that we that we took her out on the road and that we that we continued to hang out with her. And I was like, man, that's your business, you know. Yeah, but we'll probably be friends again. So yeah, he'll get know. over it. He'll get over it. Yeah, you like his songs? I do. Yeah, yeah. I think he's a talented guy. I played on one of his records. Uh huh. And my wife played on a couple of them. And yeah, I think he's good. And what? There's some other uh, 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 country scions around. Uh, the Jennings kid. Right. Shooter, yeah, Shooter's a buddy of mine. Yeah, yeah, I like Shooter. I like his attitude. He, uh-huh. He's definitely uh, unafraid to speak his mind, and and makes some real weird country music that I, I haven't I listened think. to a lot of it. He makes some real cool stuff that's very, I would say, experimental for country. What about music. Hank Three? Hank Three, I don't know very well. Yeah. I know his sister Holly. Yeah, um, she's open for us, and uh, and she's really talented, really good. I've seen Sheldon play some shows i I really i've liked the country shows he did and i i don't necessarily think he's qualified for metal music but that's my own personal taste (laughs) a lot of people like to see do you like metal metal. i do like metal Uh but uh 
but you know, I have my own personal taste. In Who are your metal guys? I I like Mastodon. Uh-huh. I think Mastodon's a really good metal band. Um, uh-huh. You know, I I when I was touring with Ryan Adams, I wound up listening to a lot of like Norwegian black metal, like oh, yeah, Grisnak and stuff? shit, like where they were eating each other, like in real life. You know, uh-huh. Ryan's very particular about his metal. Yeah, he, yeah. He doesn't. Ryan Adams doesn't listen to country music or like melodic music much at all. It's always the the deathiest death metal. Everything well, else is false metal to you. It plays to something in your heart sometimes. I mean, I just started listening to metal for the first time legitimately uh, as a 50-year-old. Yeah. And uh, it's soothing somehow. It does. I, I, you know what I told Amanda, my wife, too, <laughs> yeah. uh, when she was driving in really shitty traffic to put on the hardest shit she could find. And uh, she got the last Mastodon record, and that got her through, like, driving through Manhattan, and just really calmed her nerves down. It's amazing how that works. It is. It is. Yeah. All right, so you meet Patterson when you're hanging out at his dad's friend's house. You're sweeping on the couch there, and you guys finally sort of you know talk to each other and yeah and play some shows together i told and, him i'm a guitar player and and was that was that when you joined the drive-by truckers or before I joined just a few months after that i met patterson like almost a year before i joined the band and then they played that house concert and the, their guitar player at the time didn't uh come to the house concert for one reason or another and uh and i got up and finished the set and wound up staying with them were you familiar with all their stuff? Not all of it. I, I knew some of it. Um, I'd seen them play a few shows before. Did and it jive a couple with of you? The records. Yeah. I mean, it did. Yeah, it wasn't what I was used to playing, but I liked it a what lot. What were you primarily playing at that time? Just uh, um, sitting in with the country and R&B guys? Or? Yeah, and R&B guys and, and straight-ahead rock, you know, what I was listening to. I mean, Nirvana. Uh-huh. Nirvana was such a big Did you have long hair? There. I had long hair. Yeah, it was on my shoulders. So yeah. you you know you were a guitar player. I was that guitar player guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, some 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 power chords and some country music and stuff. And then I don't know the way they did it. Like I I never gotten into that kind of independent music as much before. So the time I spent with them really opened up my eyes to a lot of Pixies and Replacements and Neutral Milk Hotel and uh-huh. you know. Vic Chestnut and all these people that I never would have heard of otherwise. Just is he still him. around? No, he killed himself. Oh god, that's right. Yeah, he tried about seven or eight times and finally got it. Those some of those records are just so heartbreaking. They really are. I mean, My God, really did are. that influence your songwriting at all? Yeah, I think oh, so. Yeah. I think knowing Vic a little bit and and really getting into his his lyrics, uh, you know, he had that ability to be hilarious and heartbreaking at the same time, much yeah. like Todd Snyder has, I think. I interviewed Todd. He's a good cat, Todd's man. Todd's a good one. He's a, he, he married my wife and I, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, he performed a ceremony. Do you guys hang out a lot? Yeah, quite yeah. a bit. Yeah, he's a, he's a good songwriter. He's really, really good. Now, Underrated. when you, So you start with the truckers, and you had your own mindset about, about your own songs i imagine yeah so how was the process because i know that the uh that what'd you do three records with them three records and uh what was it yeah. decoration day the dirty south dirty south and, and, and blessing and a curse because i have the decoration day in the dirty south now the it seems to me that you had an influence on the sound of the band i think so i think i might have tightened it up a little bit you know um yeah i i think i think i think so i think we made some real good records there um but they were really open to my songs and and to the way I approach things, you know. And for those, for especially for Decoration Day in the Dirty South, that worked. That worked fantastically. Yeah. You know. All right. So you're with them, and this is this is your first time in a legitimate band, an original yeah. band, 
and you know you, you started living the life immediately yeah i did i mean it was blowing up for them right then you know the rock opera got like they sold about twenty thousand of them out of the back of the van and then uh-huh. they got picked up by uh lost highway which was a universal records label uh-huh. and uh you know wound up selling a hundred hundred and fifty thousand of them maybe by the end of it and that's uh, big that was big for for that size you know independent band and uh-huh. so we had you know we're playing for a thousand people a night usually and uh-huh. uh and yeah it was great i was making money and you know there was drugs and alcohol and all that kind of stuff and it was just the first time you realized just your capacity <laughs> for that lifestyle oh I yeah mean, yeah i'd never i'd never really tested it before uh-huh and do you have alcoholism in your family no no i don't get You're it genetically. special i'm special i'm lucky <laughs> lucky that way um so when did it be when did it become a problem i mean because you made it through three records when exactly did it become a problem uh-huh. mark that's the question somewhere along the way the the day it became a problem i can't quite pinpoint but one day i just looked up and went holy shit i don't remember any of that um <laughs> Yeah, there are a lot of there are a lot of situations, you know, a lot of those just terrible nights where you do things that you feel horribly shameful about, and then, you know, you what like blacking out, yeah, waking up with people, like yeah, waking up with people or waking up with like blood everywhere and somebody screaming you and slapping you, thinking you're dead or. You know, you had some of those, huh? Yeah, I had some of those. Some of those nights of like doing coke after I swore I wouldn't do any more coke. You know, <sighs> the and, worst. Yeah, that kind of being shit. up on coke at like four or five that in the morning. That is the worst feeling yet, I've ever had. It's so lonely and so fucking pathetic. Soul is just wrung out like a towel, like a yeah. wet towel. Coke's a bad one. Yeah. So now the guys, I guess, like I don't know what went down. Uh, you know, how did it? Because uh, I mean, you were partying. You obviously out partied the rest of them. I think so. I mean, at the time, it didn't seem like that. At the time, my my argument was, well, we're all fucked up. How are you going to point the finger at me when you're doing this? You uh-huh. know? But uh, yeah, I was being an asshole. I was being uh-huh. an asshole. But I, I think I was being an asshole because I didn't really want to be in that environment anymore for one reason. And for another thing, because I was just, you know, really out of my mind most of the time. And what what ultimately happened? Um, well, let's see. They called and said, you know, you need to take some time off. Try to get your shit straightened out. And, uh, you know, and I said, well, I don't want you touring as this band if I'm not with you. And they said, all right, well, then. You know, you're not with us. Goodbye, you know. So, so said, your oh, card was at like, you, you know, you can't tour as the drive-by truckers without me? No, I felt like at that point, yeah. Uh-huh. I felt like at that point that that, uh, that, that just wouldn't be right. I uh-huh. mean, we didn't have any kind of legal trouble afterwards. Right, or right, right. But, you know, I thought I had a pretty big influence on the way the band sounded at that point. Yeah, definitely. Um, but, I mean, it was Patterson's band. He came up with the damn name in the first place, so it wouldn't mind to say. Yeah. You know, they, they've had 20 people in that damn band, you know, close to yeah. it. So that wasn't, that wasn't my place to say. And know. and so you, you drew a line, and they said, see you later. And they stepped across the line, yeah, and that was it. So uh, And were you married to the— I was married to the bass player up until about eight months before that. And, and we got a divorce. Yeah, we got a divorce. Because and, of the uh, booze. Well— we shouldn't have been married in the first place. Uh-huh. Um, I think that was part of what made the booze get worse, and then the booze made the relationship get worse. We should have just been friends the whole yeah. time. We were really young when we got married. Um, you know, I was like 22, I think. She uh-huh. was 23. You got kids? No kids. Uh-huh. Um, 
but you know I, we're friends now and uh that took that took a minute so uh, okay so you're you get kicked out of your band you're fucked up yeah so what was the what was the divine providence that led you to get straight oh man it was another five years after that home fucking I, what were you doing i just started my own band and kept drinking and and kept making made all the records up until southeastern fucked up yeah yeah i mean i'm 35 now you know so i didn't get clean until i until two years ago wow yeah and so i just i and they told me i didn't have any liver damage i don't know how that happened well you're young I guess, man, but I, I really would have thought that. I mean, I, I, don't, don't, I mean, don't hang on that too long. Yeah. Because that's one of those things that will take you back out. So I got fucking. Oh, good. of course. I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm fine. I can yeah, go back. Yeah. No, but that was. Doc said I'm okay. I didn't quit because of my damn liver. I quit right. because I was intolerable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and because I was in pain. Uh-huh. And now the this album then, Southeastern, is really a, a sober album. Yeah, I wrote it sober with the exception of uh, one, maybe two songs. I mean, I wrote them sober, but not sober as, you know, I'd get up and write in the morning before I got drunk in those days. But but I think probably 10 songs on this album. Were and it's getting great response. Up. Been the best thing that I've ever I've ever done. Well, it's beautiful. It's, it's very heartfelt. And it's surprising that, you know, because sometimes when you get sober, you you're so raw and, you know, you got all these new feelings. Yeah. And you're a little crazy. But somehow or another, you were able to steer that into the music. I just think that's the best time. It I mean, is, but I it takes some balls. had something to talk about. Right. It did. I had, I, I had to write things that scared the shit out of me. Now, how do you know when you're writing a song what to take out and what to leave in? I mean, what's that process, man? I, I just edit based on... Um, the turn of the phrase? Or yeah, the, based on uh, like aesthetic concerns you uh -huh. know, rather than personal concerns uh -huh. i've always tried to make it a point to not edit things to protect myself uh -huh. you know i'll right, edit right. i'll edit to make a phrase sound better to make a melody work cleaner um to make something more specifically what i meant to say uh -huh. um but I, I won't take something out because it scares me to put it in that i think that's bullshit that's lying to people that's, uh, I think that's a good policy. You know, it's helped. I mean, it, you build a, a, an audience that way that, that are, they're very similar to me. Uh-huh, exactly. You know, if you're, if you're honest show. and you're vulnerable, they, then, then like-minded people find you. Yeah, and it might take them a little bit longer. Yeah. You know, no. you're not going to blow up overnight doing that. You don't got to tell me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, though. The people, <laughs> yeah. who, the people who appreciate the work that you do, you could say anything you wanted to say now. Right, and and you're exactly right. And even if it's not a million people, they're your people, and they get you, and 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 you know that there's transparency there. Yeah, you know you're not lying, you're not a fraud, you're not getting away with something. Yeah, that they're connecting with exactly what you do. Now, how much did Amanda play in in the in the the sobriety business? It was a big deal, you know, because I was very much, very much in love with her. And for a it, long time, for I a mean, long time, but yeah, you, you knew her a long time. Before we you were married. friends. We never, you know, went. But out did you always like feel that. the love? Yeah, I was always in love with her. First time I saw her, you know, and that was ten years before you got married. Yeah, yeah. that's a that's an amazing bit of the business. It was longing. Yeah. It was. It really was. Was she with somebody else, and you were she with somebody was, else? She was, and I was. Yeah, and I, I'm, I know that situation. You know, and. um so nothing happened. We were friends. We were, hey, how you doing? You know, polite to each uh -huh. other. And, and uh, you know, we, we had conversations that were the kind that friends have. And then at some point it just all sort of 
Did she draw a line with you though? It's like if we're gonna do this, you gotta you know clean up. Oh yeah, yeah. She wasn't gonna put up with that shit. Um, there's no way. And I told her, you know, like I would get really drunk, and this only happened a couple times with her. Yeah. I, I would say, uh, you know, I, I gotta stop. It's been too long. I gotta go to rehab. I gotta get clean. I can't do it by myself. And she said, "All right, next time you say that, you're you're in there. You're going. Uh-huh. You know, because she didn't she didn't have a whole awful lot of experience." with you know being the adult in in that kind of situation before so she she said next time you you say that to me i'm gonna hold you to it so sure enough a week or two weeks went by and i got just a little bit too fucked up and i said you know i need to stop i need to i really do and and she got on the phone and she called my manager and my mom and you know three or four of my closest friends and said okay he's told me that he's checking himself in and i want y'all to know this because he he don't want to let y'all down if mm-hmm. y'all know this he'll go you know which to me was, was a difficult thing for her to do mm-hmm. you know some of these people she didn't know nearly as well as i did mm-hmm. you know I'm like ryan adams was one of them mm-hmm. she called ryan and told him that and that's not an easy thing you know to make that call in the in the middle of the night and like but they must have all known it was right they knew it was right yeah they all they knew me so they knew it was time and and so i went in and how long two weeks uh-huh 14 days how bad was the withdrawal how fucked up i mean did you feel it or was it more of a <sighs> it yeah i felt it uh i did you yeah. know um not for very long i know yeah. alcohol withdrawals can be hell on some people right. but um they they you know kept me monitored i went into the hospital first and detoxed and then i went in and detoxed again at rehab and and they kept me on valium for a few days uh-huh. to keep me from freaking out and snapping anybody's head off uh-huh. <laughs> i think the valium's such an insurance concern for sure. rehab facilities you but know? there's also a fear depending on how bad you're hooked on it that you yeah, can you, yeah. could, you could actually die that's what i hear so then you got clean, and you did the best record you'd ever done. So that's got to be incentive to stay yes. clean. You got the girl. Got engaged, got married. Yeah. She said yes. It was great. Um, yeah, parents were ecstatic. Uh-huh. You know, friends were ecstatic. It was great. It was great. The world was still there. Yeah. You seem good. Large chunks of it still suck so much ass. Uh-huh. And you know this. You yeah. Know? yeah. It's not like homeless people are going to get off off the sidewalk right. and go home because sure. you quit fucking right. snorting coke. Right, know? yeah. Um, but I can put it where it needs to go now, I think. The creative energy. And, yeah. And your your anger and your feelings and your sadness. and you Just can... honesty. That's it for me. Like, if I'm upset about something, now I think, why am I upset? Is there shit I can do about it? You know that serenity prayer stuff is a that's a big deal, that's a, man. It's a real thing. That's thing. the root. That's like the great golden e- rule it's in a religion. Great, great equation. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really is. I mean, if you can't do something about it, you really have to learn. You know, this is something I cannot control, and I can't get worked up over it because I it, it'll kill me. It's a very that is the most important thing. That was number one for me. Yeah. It's a, it's that's solid. And now when you, like, I know on the record that, you know, you, you speak a lot of your own experience, but there there are, are tunes on there that seem like you, you have a certain sensitivity uh, that things strike you in life or people's situations strike you in life and, and you kind of put yourself into mm-hmm. into into their life. Do you, do you, is that something you yeah, do? Yeah, I do that. I mean, I remember hearing uh, Angel from Montgomery, John oh Prine's song when I was a kid. Right, right. First line of that, he says, I'm an old woman. Yeah. And I remember thinking, no, you're, that's not a woman. And then it clicked like the light bulb went on. Like, oh, I can do that. Yeah. I don't have to be Jason in every 
song that I write. I That's can be oh. whoever I want. Right. When that happened, you know, because people don't go up to Arnold Schwarzenegger and say, you know, you're the Terminator in right. real life. But if right. you're a songwriter, very often they'll assume that everything you write in the first person is about you yeah i used to think that mm-hmm. until i interviewed nick lowe and he's like oh that's, yeah that's not me yeah he's so good he's yeah he's a nice guy a lot of his characters are assholes <laughs> he wrote the beast in me yeah and he sang it in my garage oh wow because it's uh, the greatest song in the world i'm like and i'm thinking like you've you've been through some shit he's like hey, yeah. no he's my songwriter that's, that's not me i made that up <laughs> yeah i love that guy man he's, he's a sweet guy. so sweet and he's so good so you're just gonna keep Running yourself ragged on this album. Yeah. Now, are you going to, is there any plan to, to play with those fellas again or no? With the truckers? Yeah. No, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think it makes sense now. I mean, yeah. they're doing good music. Um, they just made a record that it comes out real soon in the next few weeks, and I've heard it, and I think it's great. Yeah, I hope I'm get to talk to him. Yeah, to, he's sort of a to fan Patterson. Of the show. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he does like the show. He, he loves that kind of stuff. Yeah, and but you guys are friends. We're friends. Yeah, we we talk uh, uh, pretty frequently. And you you're friends with his his old man still. Oh yeah, yeah. David still still calls me son. And, and your parents are are good. They're good. Yeah, it's proud amazing. Of you? They're proud of me. It's amazing. They're I don't sleeping s- a little better now. A little bit. I don't see them as much as I would like to, but you know. Yeah. What you gonna do? There's no and Nashville no Street Nero. Yeah, I like Nashville. You go to Prince's Chicken ever? I like Prince's. There's a, there's quite a few. Bolton's, Bolton's is good. Bolton's too. Prince's. I think Prince's is is a little longer wait, but it's still hotter and better than than Bolton's. It's it's a little hotter. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I've had them both. Some people think the flavor's better at Bolton's, but I don't know. Oh, yeah. there's, a, there's, a, there's a few new places though that people just love. Yeah, really love in town. It's kind of a thing that's springing up. I think Prince's got a beard award. And, oh, that's right. Uh, so a lot ever, of hot chicken places. Do you ever go there. hang out at Jack uh, Jack White's place? No, I don't know Jack. I'm glad he's in town, um, but I don't know him. I've never hung out with him. I like his music. He probably puts you on those one of them records. He likes to just have people over. Just and come just over and play. Cut a record. Yeah. He cuts those 45s. Yeah, I don't know I how I hadn't wound up in there. He's, he's a rock star. There, there aren't many left. That, that's true. That's true. All right, so you'll get your guitar. I'll try and figure oh. out how to do it. Thanks for talking to me, yeah, man. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me. She said, Andy, you're better than your past Winked at me and drained a glass Cross-legged on a bar stool like She said, Andy, you're taking me home But I knew she planned to sleep alone I'd carry her to bed Sweep up the hair from the floor If I'd fucked her before she got sick I'd never hear the end of it But she don't have the spirit for about the weekend crowd and try to ignore the elephant somehow somehow she 
said and you cracked me up Seagrams in a coffee cup Sharecropper eyes and her hair almost all gone When she was drunk she made cancer jokes Made up her own doctor's notes Surrounded by her family Saw that she was dying alone I'd sing her a classic country song She'd get high and sing along But she don't have much voice to sing with now We burn these joints in effigy Cry about what we used to be Try to ignore the elephant somehow Somehow I've buried her a thousand times Given up my place in Yeah, we got it. Awesome. Thank you. So what what inspired that song? Because that's one of those songs. That was a few different people's stories that I heard within a few month period there. I was living above this bar and uh, in, in Sheffield, Alabama. When I got sober, I had to move away from there. But um, uh, I was dating this girl, a real sweet girl, and she worked behind the bar as a bartender. And I mm-hmm. told her, you know, don't get too attached to these folks because they'll start disappearing like that scene in Rent where they go around a circle and people just vanish. Mm-hmm. Surely enough, they, you know, within a couple of years, most of the regulars weren't there anymore. And it was usually because of cancer. It wasn't people drinking themselves to death. And it was, it was cancer. And, uh, so I was thinking back on that after I'd cleaned up and I was on the road, you know, sit down to write on a night off. And I was thinking about those folks and their stories and their relationships to one another and wrote that song. Beautiful, man. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. It was fun, man. I loved it. I loved it. Good talking to you. Thanks. You too. How was that? Huh? Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? The whole fucking album is good. Southeastern by Jason Isbell. What a sweet guy. What a fucking pro. What a fucking mensch. And uh, it was it was it was just it was great to be sitting there. So that's it. That's it for today. On Friday, we continue Drive By Trucker Week with Patterson Hood. Uh, it's a it's a it's a WTF goes down south week. And the conversations that we, that Patterson and I get into revolving around where he grew up and the truckers and Jason and primarily his father, David Hood, uh, I had watched the, uh, the documentary about the Muscle Shoals uh, studio 
uh, the night before I talked to Patterson. That's his pop on bass. And his pop is almost is on more records than you could ever imagine that are your favorite songs. I love this shit. I love learning about you know behind the scenes music stuff. So that's uh, that's really part two of what you heard today on Friday with Patterson. And go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF pod needs. Get yourself some Pow! I just shit my pants. Just coffee.coop available WTF Pod. And look into that app. Poke around in the merch. Do whatever you gotta do over there. Yeah. Oh boy. I'm wearing a I'm wearing a vest right now. And it's tight. And but you know, that's the way you're supposed to wear them. But you know what? I don't play anything that close to the vest, really, do I? Mm. Thought there'd be more there. Boomer lives!